This is Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief of Evidence-Based GI and ACG Publication. And I'm talking with Sonali Paul, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Chicago School of Medicine, Center for Liver Diseases. And today we'll be discussing her summary of a recent randomized control trial about intermittent fasting, specifically effects of time-restricted eating on weight loss and other metabolic parameters in women and men with overweight and obesity. The TREAT randomized control trial, which was published in JAMA initially back in June of 2021. So welcome, Dr. Paul, and, and you're an expert in obesity. And tell us a little bit about what intermittent fasting really is and why it's important. Yeah, no, um, so thanks for having me. Um, so this was, um, so intermittent fasting is basically, um, uh, or time-restricted eating is what they called it in this paper. So um, folks can eat freely from a set time period, um, but then stop completely until kind of the next day. So in this paper, um, patients um, ate freely from noon until eight o'clock that night. Um, but then completely um, fasted overnight. So from 8 p.m. to noon the next day. Um, the fasting windows can be different. It can be anywhere from 12 to 16 hours as it was in this study. Um, and really it's, um, you know, when we think about kind of, you know, the benefits of breakfast, breakfast is like breaking the fast. And so we really are, you know, supposed to not give our body a break and kind of let us metabolize everything that we've eaten over a longer period of time. And so there has been some data to say that this can be helpful for weight loss and kind of cardiovascular outcomes as well. Okay. And there have certainly been many trials and many meta-analyses about intermittent fasting um, or time-restricted eating as they call it here. And again, in this specific study, it's an actual 16-hour fast from 8 p.m. at night until noon the next day. So can you tell us a little bit more about what the investigators uh, did in terms of designing this study? Sure. So um, there were two groups. It was a small study. There were 116 patients um, uh, aged 18 to 64 years old, and their BMI had to be between 27 to 43. Um, and they looked at um, two parameters. So what did um, intermittent fasting help with weight loss? Um, and then there was a subset of 50 people that lived close to um, the center, one of the centers. Um, and those patients actually went through kind of more extensive testing of metabolic parameters um, uh, as well. So this was 12 weeks, uh, folks were randomized, um, uh, there were adult patients and then um, the, arms were basically the patients were randomized to the consistent meal eating meal timing. So this was kind of three structured meals a day um, or the time restricted eating, which I mentioned where um, patients would eat freely from noon until eight, but then stopped completely from eight until noon the next day. And as we've discussed before, it's important to recognize that in this trial, macronutrients weren't being monitored. In other words, the specific types of food that the patients ate were not being monitored. So um, 
that may ultimately have an impact on the results. And, and why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about what the results showed from this study? Yeah, absolutely. So there was significant weight loss in the time-restricted eating groups. So pa patients lost about um, a kilo, um, so about 2.2 pounds um, or about 1.17% um, of their body weight, but not in a consistent meal timing group. Um, that was about uh, 0.68 kilos or about 0.75% of their body weight. Um, but there were no significant weight changes between the two groups, which is the most important point. So um, they were kind of equivocal in terms of weight loss. Um, the other thing that's noted is that um, in the subgroup analysis of the 50 patients, again, a very small sample size, but there were really no differences in any metabolic parameters, except for um, decreased appendicular lean mass index in the time-restricted eating group, which um, is actually somewhat important because there have been studies that have looked at this um, reduction in lean mass or um, versus, so lean mass versus fat mass. Um, and that can be associated with frailty um, and decreased muscle mass. So certainly in our in my population of patients that have cirrhosis, I'm very cognizant of frailty. Um, and so I think there's you know, many more questions that the study brings up um, than you know, gives us answers. Yeah, there, there certainly appear to be some limitations in terms of these data, specifically that there was about a two pound weight loss seen in the time restricted group. Um, but that was not significantly less than compared to the group that ate three meals a day, which had a weight loss of less than a pound. Um, it's a little bit concerning that you actually saw a decrease in, in that lean mass or Mm -hmm. essentially muscle mass in the time restricted group. Um, and I guess one of the real limitations here again is it's a small study and they weren't monitoring the macronutrients that patients actually ate in each arm of the study. Does that cover most of the limitations or what else were concerns for you here? I think those are, those were the main things. Um, because in, you know, in my practice, when, I mean, I do at times will recommend inter intermittent fasting in the right patient population, but this is all with, um, under the guidance of a dietitian that I work with really closely, um, and giving them, you know, healthy macronutrients to eat. So, um, you know, we base our, uh, nutrition on the Mediterranean diet with, um, you know, good car, um, whole grain carbs, um, with limitations on carbs as well, but, you know, fish, uh, lean meats, um, good fats. So, you know, it's very different. That diet is very different for anybody depend regardless of you know, when you're eating versus, you know, a diet that's very high in saturated fats and um, processed foods. So I think kind of, you know, this, I think does help some patients. I think, especially those that, you know, as we kind of talked about, um, you know, the GLP-1 agonists like semaglutide and um, gastric bypass and sleeve are obviously kind of the best interventions, I think, for weight loss. But uh, unfortunately, it's still, there are insurance barriers. And so when we have kind of nothing else to offer because we're limited by insurance, I think this is kind of one tool in our um, toolbox that we can use for uh, patients that have overweight or obesity. That, that I think is, is part of the take-home point here that although in this specific 
randomized control trial, you didn't see benefit. The, the practical point may, may be that it's not just when you eat, but it's still what you eat also. And given that multiple other uh, randomized control trials have shown some benefit with intermittent fasting when it's combined with some other dietary guidance, um, it's another tool in your toolbox. And at the same time, as you said, um, I think as gastroenterologists, we should recognize that really it's semaglutide, a GLP-1 agonist that you give sub-Q once a week that's been shown to produce, you know, 15 to 20% reductions in mean body weight and endoscopic sleeve gastrectomy, which also has shown, you know, 15 to 20% reductions in mean body weight that are the most effective and, and best established interventions. Um, it's, but also there may be insurance barriers to getting that. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about how or when you do recommend intermittent fasting to your patients um, in your clinic? So I think it really is dependent on the patient and one, their motivation. I mean, I think some of my patients need the three meals a day. Otherwise, especially if they're diabetic, they get hypoglycemic if they don't eat and they're on insulin. So, um, you know, these are patients that we will talk to and it's the patients that I find that, you know, eat dinner and then continuously kind of graze until they go to bed at, you know, um, 11 um, or, or midnight. Um, it's that, you know, those four hours are kind of crucial because that's just excess calories that they're not burning at all. Um, and so for some folks, if we can, you know, be very strict and say like, listen, don't, uh, eat after eight o'clock. And then, um, to be honest though, I actually start my eating windows or fasting windows for 12 hours. Initially. Um, I don't go straight to 16 because I think that can be very difficult for a lot of people. Um, so I start simple and just do, you know, stop eating at eight or whatever kind of 12 hour window you want to pick. Um, and then it's okay to eat breakfast if you need breakfast um, and kind of eat until kind of eight again or whatever you know, time you want to stop. Um, I think, uh, and then they'll come back to me and my dietitian. And if that, you know, if they're not really losing weight or um, nothing is really changing in their metabolic parameters, I'll slowly start to increase that um, fasting window and decrease the eating window. Um, and I, I'll get up to 16 hours um, for some patients. I don't recommend though, there are a lot of folks that are, there are a lot of trends to talk, talking about intermittent fasting for 24, 48, sometimes even 72 hours a week's worth or like count, um, there are apps that you can get for your phone that actually count down how many hours you have left of fasting. I mean, to be honest, I don't know the data behind that. And I think it's actually potentially detrimental because then your body goes into ketosis and, you know, things could happen. So, um, especially, I mean, I have a very heavy dominant kind of chronic liver disease population. And so I have to be very cognizant, um, of that. Um, and so that's one thing I think. And then the other thing, I, and I, I kind of alluded to this before, um, and my patients that have cirrhosis, even if they're very well compensated cirrhosis, this is the exact opposite of what I would recommend because we want our patients, because it, it's such a catabolic state that they're constantly consuming um, uh, calories, their liver is constantly consuming it. And so if they don't get the energy kind of throughout the day, uh, they actually will become um, sarcopenic and frail. So uh, for my patients that have cirrhosis, I actually kind of recommend grazing throughout the day and really right before bedtime, kind of having that, you know, uh, bedtime snack 
that is with complex carbohydrates that kind of nourishes them through sleep. So it really is obviously dependent, especially, I mean, if, if I have a patient that has natural cirrhosis, I know they need to lose weight, but I also have to be very mindful um, about their muscle mass as well. So, um, you know, it's, it, I think there's going to be a lot more data coming out, especially as we kind of think more about frailty um, and muscle mass um, in liver disease and, and kind of in general. So if I can summarize there that in your approach to using intermittent fasting, that you don't recommend it in individuals with cirrhosis because that might further impact on losing muscle mass if they attempted it. When you do use intermittent fasting, you usually start with a 12 hour fasting period and then may extend to 14 to 16 hours, but don't extend beyond that. And that it's probably most helpful for patients that are not diabetic and not cirrhotic who tend to graze into the evening. And that also it's very important to still have that patient work with a dietitian so that they are modifying the types of foods they eat, hopefully following something a little bit closer to the Mediterranean diet. Does that hit on the main points there about how you apply this in your own practice? Yes, absolutely. Great. Well, thanks so much for talking with us today, Dr. Paul. I think this is a very helpful thing for our listeners to hear about since a lot of patients bring up the idea of intermittent fasting and want feedback from them. So thanks again for joining us today. Thanks for having me.